Hi, gang. Welcome back to Vox Tablet, the weekly podcast of Tablet Magazine. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. Today, some myth-busting about the settler movement. Earlier this week, we asked our Facebook followers for their impressions of Israeli settlers. The 50 or so responses we got fell into two camps. Maybe that's not a big surprise. Some people were quick to tell us that the settlers are religious fanatics who are destroying any chance Israel has for establishing peace. The other camp described the settlers as loving people with heart and soul and a pioneering spirit. So which one is it? Today on our podcast, we're considering the question of who the settlers actually are and why they're there. We're doing that with the help of Callie Madoff. Madoff is an American anthropologist who recently spent 10 months doing fieldwork living in one of these settlements. Callie is speaking with us from Jerusalem. Callie Madoff, welcome to Vox Tablet. Thank you so much for having me. Now, when we hear the phrase Israeli settlement, I think a lot of people tend to think of a temporary and besieged outpost set on some barren hillside and inhabited by men with flying paeus and ethereal, beautiful girls, orthodox girls attacking soldiers. Does that in any way describe the settlement where you lived? No, not at all. Uh, Mine was a settlement of about 8,000, mostly secular, middle-class Israelis who commute to places like Tel Aviv on a daily basis. Um, Some people even said that it was just like a hotel. People go there, they sleep there at night, and in the morning they drive back to work. And is it an actual city? Is there transportation? Uh, Are there schools? I mean, to what extent are there the attributes of communal living? That's part of what's interesting is that people do at the same time consider a very communal place to live. Um, They do have preschools, elementary school, and up through middle school. The high schoolers are actually sent across the green line back into Israel in order to go to high school. And they've got very, very active things like the scouts. They have uh, the community center. They've got a gym, things like that. So they do have these things. And it's sort of one of those small communities where everyone's in everyone's business. And what about ideologically speaking? Is there a common uh, philosophy that binds together the people who do live there? Well, people say that these are non-ideological settlers, which I don't think is exactly true. They they have a very strong ideology, but it's the ideology of the middle class. Um, and that's really what, what brings people there. It's this desire for uh, a house with a yard and a fence, um, a quiet place where they can – they don't have to worry about their children in the streets or – Uh, drugs or gangs or any sort of violence. This is just a small bedroom community. So insofar as it does feel that way, how typical is that of settlements throughout the country? Well, settlements are extremely diverse. You do have the sort of outposts that you described earlier. Those certainly exist. But a larger number of settlers live in places like this one, There was an important survey that came out in 2007, I believe, from Peace Now, which is an Israeli left-wing organization. Um, One of the things that they do is they track settlers and settlements. Um, And in that survey, they they themselves said that they were surprised to find that 74% of settlers claim that they're there for quality of life reasons. 
Now, this does not exclude other reasons being there for uh, religious or political motivations, but that's the primary reason they're there. Callie, how did the settlement that you were living in uh, come to exist in the first place? Well, it was founded in 1983. It was part of a settlement boom in the 1980s that was really about suburbanization and creating these kinds of settlements um, that were for especially career military officers. And that's what this one started as. It was initially, it was just posted and advertised in military circulars and newspapers. And people thought, okay, great, this is, this is great, cheap housing, and we can move there. It was actually almost immediately that it was opened up to the general public. But this idea of it being this place where where career military officers go and that was founded by these very respected members of Israeli society, it, that's still an important part of how people think of themselves there. And what is its legal status? Well, that depends on who you ask. According to Israeli law, and this is really important to the people who live there, it's legal. Everything goes through a permit process. People apply to, to build their homes. And when you ask people about their legal status, they say, no, no, we, we own our homes the way we own our cars or our clock radios. This is an entirely legal thing. According to international law, you're talking about moving a civilian population into an occupied territory, um, which is absolutely against the law. Now they say, oh, there's room for interpretation, or um, we are to we're on the on the proper side of the wall, we're on the Israel side of the wall. And therefore, um, it doesn't really count as occupied territory anymore. These are the sorts of debates that go on. So let me just understand this. The wall, the separation wall is beyond the green line. Can you sort of differentiate that for us? Right. So the wall is actually nearly about twice the length of the green line, right? That it because it snakes in and around all of these settlements. Um, so the settlement that I lived on was two and a half kilometers east of the green line, uh, but was entirely within the wall. And of course, we should just remind listeners what the green line is. That is the border between Israel and the Palestinian territories. Right. It's the 1949 armistice line. Let's talk about your research for a moment, Callie. As an anthropologist, I wonder what were the questions you went in with when you began your stint on the settlement? Well, I had a few different areas that I was really interested in. First of all, of course, I would just ask their own background. Where did they come from? Where did they live here before? Um, why would they come to this particular place to live? How did they feel about crossing the green line? Um, but also I'd just ask, what does that word even mean to you today? What is the green line? Uh, do you consider yourself a settler? And, and most of them didn't. They, they, they laughed and they would make jokes with me. Oh, you're here to study settlers. That's why you came to see us. Um, but I would also ask about how they felt about their own relationship to religion and whether religion played any role. What does the Jewish state mean to them? And is it important for them to be where they are today for the Jewish state? And what kind of answers did you get? So a part of it was, I mean, people came there because they wanted this nice house. They wanted to be in a place that was quiet with good air and a view. And the view is spectacular. Um, 
As for their own religiosity, they were adamant about the fact that they weren't. They were adamant about their own secularism and about how this differentiated them from settlers. They said, we're not settlers. We're not religious. We act in accordance with the law. We're just here like any other person in any other place in Israel. Do you uh, have any specific encounters that stand out in your memory? Oh, I have a lot of them. <laughs> Can you share some with us? Um, well, you know, one thing I found when I did archival research in, in the small archive that was actually on the settlement, I, I did some archival research also at the state level, but within the settlement, there was one archivist who, as far as I could tell, had just taken it on herself to save every scrap of paper ever produced, um, which was a treasure trove for me. And I went through and I found in an old community newsletter, a letter to the community from the former mayor. And he said that somebody had put some graffiti, some offensive graffiti on a mosque in one of the nearby villages. And he was, first of all, certain that that could not be one person from this community. But just to be clear, they were going to help out with the cleanup effort. And of course, he would never see that sort of thing happening nearby again. So I, I was interested in this because it did really seem like a sincere thing. And one thing that I thought was so interesting was the way that the settlers there really um, thought of themselves as, as models for coexistence. And this was something that was actually on the Facebook thread as well, that, that these were people who had coexistence, that um, we give jobs to Palestinians from the nearby villages, we give them our old clothes and our old electronics, we really are, we're friends. And I, I think that that's, to me, this actually sheds a problematic light on the very notion of coexistence. Because I think to a certain extent, they're right. This is what coexistence is. But I think what was interesting was the way that this for, sort of friendly exterior disregards the very serious inequality that exists between these communities and the structural reasons behind it. So the, the picture you're painting of a settlement is not of a religious place primarily. Why then is that the dominant image that uh, people think of when they think of settlements in Israel? Does somebody benefit from that image, from that public perception? I think that the Israeli state does. I think that there's a narrative that comes out of that, that if only the moderates on both sides could sit down and could get past the extremists. So you've got the settlers on one side and terrorists on the other, and that these are the people who stop peace from happening. My point is that actually the center left in Israel or the center in Israel today, includes settlers, right? This is not an extremist thing by any metric that I can understand. Um, rather, the middle class is deeply tied up in the settlement project. So do most Israelis then consider themselves in favor of the settler movement if the settler movement is sort of a reflection of middle class society? Uh, certainly not the settler movement, but one thing when you ask 
uh, Israelis about who is a settler, it's not a term the way, say, I think of it. I'm, I'm thinking of it in terms of international law. These are people who go and they live in the occupied territories. But for many people, that's not actually how they define settler. A settler is a religious person who goes um, in defiance of the law and uh, plants themselves on a hilltop. So for, for many people, that's just not, the people that I study aren't, aren't quote-unquote real settlers. So now you're living in Ramallah. How does life there compare to life in the settlement? Personally, I'm, I'm much happier in terms of I have a nightlife, I have friends, I have young people. It's, of course, noisier, it's dirtier. I live on a central square. Um, but also, one thing that would be a very important difference is that I'm lacking a lot of infrastructure. And so, for example, if my roommate and I are a little cavalier with our water use, we can run out of water because our water tanks are filled just once a week. We're not connected to a water main the way that you would have in um, almost anywhere else, the way you would have in a settlement or any Israeli city. Um, there are occasional blackouts where the electricity will just go out for an hour or two or longer. And of course, this was a very big deal just a few weeks ago when there was a major winter storm and it, it was a, a serious problem for people who lost electricity and people died because of the of the cold. So Callie, let me ask you, given how ubiquitous settlements are and what a large share of the population live on them now, they're just uh, mainstream. They're part of Israeli society for better or worse. What then is the future for them? First of all, I, I think that it is important to realize the way that they've become so mainstream. Uh, I think a figure that is not thrown around, but I think should be, is that at this point, nearly one in 10 Jewish Israelis lives east of the Green Line, and that includes East Jerusalem, um, which is a significant proportion of the population. As for their future, it is really hard to imagine a sort of disengagement along the lines of Gaza where everything is pulled out. Um, so it, it's it's difficult to say where this will lead. What I do think is that there will be a massive change at some point. The situation as it stands today is untenable. It's unsustainable. For the last 46 years, we've, we talk about it like an occupation, but you've had people on either side of the green line living under the same regime. But those people, depending on where they live and what religion they are, they receive different rights and privileges by the state. This this can't go on forever. This is a situation of whether we want to call it occupation or colonization. There, there are a lot of different ways that you may describe this. But as it stands, a massive population currently has significantly fewer rights and privileges than everyone else. And I just don't think that that's something that can or will go on forever. Callie Madoff, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Callie Madoff is a graduate student in anthropology at the University of California at Berkeley. She spoke with us from Jerusalem. 
If you liked our conversation, why not share it with other people? And why not jump into the conversation yourself? You can post a comment on our website, tabletmag.com, or on Facebook. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. Special thanks today to Batya Ungersargan for her help. I'm Sarah Ivory. We hope you'll join us again next time. <laughs>